Good morning, everybody. December 20th, here we are, one day away from the shortest day of the year. Can everybody go, eh? Thank you, yes. That's kind of the way I've been feeling when the darkness creeps in on us so early every day. <laughs> and I've had a little bit of that seasonal affective disorder, I think, this last week where I'm just a little antsy and sometimes you can't quite put your finger on why. And I just had a little bit of the doldrums and yet, and yet I've been able to get into God's word as we're studying about this particular passage we're gonna look at today. What makes the waiting easier? How can we get through the waiting times when it seems dark and it seems like it's gonna take forever for the brightness to come again, for some of the emptiness to get filled? for some of that void to be filled. Whatever that void is, we're gonna look at that today. And if you're gonna look at your Bible with us, I would invite you to look at Luke chapter two, because that's where we're coming today. Actually fast forwarding just a little bit, as Steve mentioned in his preface, to the time after Jesus had been born on this fourth Sunday of Advent, because we need to see something about a fulfillment that's taking shape. And yet, we're also gonna see that sometimes just the thing we think we've been waiting for is a preface for something even better. We're gonna look at that today. Last week, we looked at a word that was not particularly usually used to describe Christmas. Have yourself a disgraceful Christmas. But that's what we looked at. And we saw, I hope we saw anyway, that we can't describe accurately the true first Christmas without using that word disgraceful. And yet we came to the conclusion that God's grace covers our disgrace. And that's why disgraceful is necessary in describing the gospel. Today, we're looking at another word, this word that some of us don't particularly care for all that much. I know I don't. And that's the word wait, wait for it, wait for it. And in this dark season where we feel like there's just so much to be disappointed about or to long for. I don't want to be Debbie Downer here today. Wah, wah, wah. I don't want us to get so down. So I think that right off the bat, we need to lighten our mood a little bit. And I need to throw in a Poppy the Puppy illustration. Mm -hmm. Told you a couple of weeks ago, you're probably going to see some of those Poppy the Puppy illustrations because what else have we to do in this lockdown situation in the pandemic? But play with a dog and Callie's training that dog. So we're gonna learn a couple of lessons about waiting and here is a lesson from Callie teaching Poppy how to wait. Stay. Release, come. Aren't you proud? I know I was. And even though we were seeing Poppy from a little bit behind where she was, you couldn't see her face. She was just twitching with excitement. <laughs> and the first few times Callie was working on that particular move, that particular command, you could tell that every muscle in that little puppy was just itching to get put into motion. She was just tense all the way through her body. She's getting a little bit better about sitting patiently, but it's taking a while. And I find myself anyway, in this specific pandemic kind of Christmas season that I feel a little bit caught in the middle between what I wish things were, what ought to be, and what things really are, 
what actually is. We're just caught in the middle of that. And I think that kind of microcosmically sums up what a lot of us feel much of the time. We feel caught in the middle because we know that there's something else that should happen, something that should be better than what is. And yet we look around and we see what's really going on around us and we think, yeah, what I have in my mind where I thought we should be right now or what we should be doing or what we should be experiencing or who we should be experiencing with, it's not happening right now. So what actually is, is a bummer and we feel caught in the middle of that. That's that sort of betwixt and between that's gonna be sort of thematic as we look through this passage today. The waiting we're finding out is God's training ground. Now, we may not be puppies and we may not have to wait for a milk bone doggy treat when we do things right, but there are some rewards that we have to look forward to. We have to be careful not to make too many parallels between the animal kingdom and humans but hopefully we'll understand that there is some bit of an analogy here that we can apply that we are in God's training ground and we have to learn how to wait. The question is, when will we have a normal holiday again together? <laughs> I accidentally hit the wrong part of my phone this morning as I was getting ready to sign in, but it was a wonderful serendipity because I wound up doing a message call to a sister-in-law and she said, well, I guess we needed to connect together. So we had a good little quick visit and I'm so glad I did. It made my day, but we're missing some of these relatives. And some of us have chosen not to have any get togethers. Some of you all have, and we're praying for your safety, not only in travel, but also your physical safety and your health. But sometimes we're just missing people. Uh, when will two family members who have not spoken to each other in a long time, when will they talk to each other again? Maybe that's something that we're waiting on. Or when will somebody come along, that certain special someone that I've been praying for, that will help fill up that emptiness in my loneliness that I've experienced? Or when will that behavior, that habit, that I know is kind of self-destructive or keeps me from becoming my fullest, when will that finally be broken? There are many things that we wait for that we're kind of caught between. What we feel like ought to be and what actually is. Well, that place in between, that's God's training ground. Let me set the scene for you. In Luke 2, 21, there's sort of a two-phase process in the Jewish community where somebody has a brand new baby and they want to introduce that baby into the community. There was the first phase, which was on day eight, circumcision and the big name announcement. That would be a very big deal and it was a public deal. It was something that happened in community because people wanted to know what the name of that child was because the name was important. Names really had power and they meant something in the Jewish community. Let me read Luke 2, 21. It says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So a couple of very important things happening here, only eight days after the birth. First of all, there was the circumcision, which literally marked that baby as being Jewish. So it was important for them. Secondly, the name announcement. This was a big deal as well. And when he said the name is going to be Jesus, we think of a lot of things when we think of the name Jesus, especially this time of year. Maybe we think of a baby Jesus in the manger, in a little nativity scene. Whatever it is we think of, that's not what the people heard. 
they heard Yeshua, which was the same as Joshua, the mighty warrior, the one who stepped in and filled Moses' shoes after Moses led. And then Moses, because of some sin, wasn't able to complete the task and carry the people all the way into the promised land. But Joshua was able to continue God's story for the people of Israel. And so he was a mighty warrior, somebody to really look up to. So when they heard Joshua, I can imagine that the Jewish people who heard that name were probably thinking more the mighty warrior who might be able to overthrow the Roman government one day than they were thinking about the tiny baby in the manger. It's a very good possibility. And so then we have this wonderful wide shot that takes place as we start to set the scene for the next phase, which was that sacrifice, people would bring sacrifices, and they would give a redemption offering to redeem their child. It was all a part of sort of the baby dedication that happened on the phase two, and this happened 40 days after the birth, and let me read this to you as well. This is that wide shot. You can see the thronging crowd there. That's the temple courtyard. And if you can imagine that many people crowded together in that, and that's only a part of the courtyard, it's at least twice that size. You can imagine it would be hard to pick out anybody clearly unless they got really close to you because all of them look pretty much alike as Joy and I discovered when we were there. Well, let me read Luke 2, 22 through 24. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, this would be 40 days after the birth, Joseph and Mary took him, meaning Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or young pigeons. That's what the law required, especially for those families that weren't wealthy enough to be able to afford a lamb. So we see some important things happening in this wide shot. Mary and Joseph have to make the travel back. They have to walk all the way back to Jerusalem again, which they did because they were obedient to the law. They took part in their community. That was a big part of their life together. And they understood that Jesus was going to be raised in this community of faith, this Jewish community. And they consecrated or dedicated him to the Lord all important factors in terms of the upbringing of this child. And we see that probably they couldn't afford, afford a lamb, and so they probably offered two young birds, and probably they were inexpensive birds. So now we're going to get ready for our tight shot as we start to think about what happens next as Luke is setting us up for something that's a pretty tumultuous event here. There's the tight shot. There's this elderly man, and he's waiting also in that courtyard, and something happens with him, as we'll see, that changes everything, especially for Simeon, but it also speaks over the child and makes its way into Mary's and Joseph's ears, and they're going to be pondering what Simeon has to say. Let me read Luke 2, 25 through 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so there's this man 
in the thronging crowd, somehow his eyes meet with Mary's eyes and he sees that child. Probably it's the Holy Spirit who quickens him. His heart starts to beat a little bit faster. He gets excited and even though he is elderly, he feels a spring in his step and he probably jumps up from where he has been seated and he walks over and his eyes lock with the baby Jesus eyes. What a moment. It's a moment in history. It's a fulfillment of something that the Holy Spirit had let him know years earlier. Something was happening that was so supernatural and so amazing that even he couldn't quite comprehend it. And so he's going to get ready to sing because that's sort of what happens when we get in an encounter with something so powerful, especially when God is in it. We want to worship. And one of the ways that we worship is through song. And so we have this wonderful song here recorded for us in Luke 2, 27 through 32. He says, moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So what was Simeon doing when all this started to happen? He was waiting. The scripture tells us that. He was waiting for this moment. He'd been waiting for a long time. Do you find waiting easy or hard? I've got to tell you, I'm being honest here. I really don't like to wait very much. <laughs> I always want to be actively engaged in doing something rather than feeling like I'm just waiting. And because I tend to forget that sometimes waiting can be an active participation event. It can be a good thing, a positive thing. It can be a character building time. Just last summer, I had to get my driver's license renewed. And even though I had made an impossible appointment, it seemed impossible, finally got one. I was thinking, good, at least I have an appointment. And I'm going to get that appointment just in time to go and pick that up before my birthday came around. But after I got there, I discovered that they were running behind schedule. And so I had to wait outside for an entire 30 minutes. Oh my goodness. It was an eternity. I couldn't believe it. And you should have heard the people waiting with me and all around me. <laughs> that was the subject of conversation, how difficult is, it is to wait, especially when we had to be out there in that heat. I just need to remind you that we were complaining about the heat just a few months ago, so no complaints about the cold, okay? Also, Joy and I were driving around a couple of weeks ago, and we were in Ann Arbor, and we thought, okay, we need to pick up a couple of items. We haven't been to Trader Joe's in a long time. Let's check to see if there's any kind of a line because they're socially distancing and they have little X's on the sidewalk. You know the drill outside in the sidewalk under a little portico so you wouldn't get uh, rained or snowed on. But we drove through there and sure enough, there was this long line that went out and around the corner and around another corner and down the sidewalk. And we said, nope, <laughs> we're gonna have to deal with it later. We're not gonna stop for there because we don't like to wait. Well, what was Simeon doing? He was very patiently waiting and he was actively listening, actively waiting to see if 
God was going to show up because he'd been promised that God would do something remarkable in his life. I remember seeing this kind of waiting in my grandmother, Catherine Hardcastle. She was an amazing woman and she had many talents. She could play the piano and organ. Uh, she did needlework. She was quite the artist and in her uh, older years, she would start to paint and took painting classes. And we have a couple of her paintings, just an amazing lady. But I, I noticed something about her and it was some lesson that she didn't necessarily put into words. And so I'm capturing what I saw in her life into this sentence. It's not about getting what you're waiting for. It's about who you are becoming as you wait. And she was becoming a real woman of God. Somebody who had such wisdom and such patience because she understood that sometimes the things that are happening as we wait are happening on the inside and they're powerful and they're very, very important. Well, when Simeon sees Jesus coming into that courtyard there at Christmas, his waiting was relieved because Jesus had hit the scene, but his waiting wasn't totally resolved yet because Jesus hadn't yet completed the work of rescuing and consoling him and the rest of Israel, even though he had been waiting on the consolation of Israel. That is, Simeon's waiting was only relieved, but not resolved. Relief, not resolution, is seen in that passage that I just read, verses 27 through 32. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, in verse 30, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. So he did see that, and that was a great relief. His eyes met with Jesus' eyes. He saw the child. That was promised to him. That promise came true. But could we say that he was completely fulfilled? Yes and no. Yes, there was a great fulfillment there. There was such relief because his eyes had finally landed on Messiah, the promised one. And yet, the promised resolution that consolation of Israel wasn't quite done yet. And then he says something that goes even beyond that, because he said, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. What in the world is that about? Sometimes we feel a little bit like Simeon. That is, we've been praying for something, God shows up, and he gives us an answer, and we're grateful for the answer. But even as we're given the answer, we realize, oh, there's still more to come. There's relief, which gives us reason for hope, but the entire resolution is not quite fulfilled yet. I've seen that a number of times in my life. You get that job or a sense of call into a vocation or work or the right school or to meet the right person, but it doesn't end there. It's a great step and it's a, a time of hope and it's a time of relief, but the resolution is yet to come. And that's what God does for us. He very often gives us relief and gives us just enough hope to keep us looking forward because they, there will be a resolution one day. One day we're gonna see his ultimate resolution. Did Simeon get what he was waiting for? Yes, but only partially. And that's very often the case with us. And that shocking verse was something that I'm sure did not fall on deaf ears in verse 32 when he said, a light for revelation to the Gentiles? 
and the glory of your people Israel. That was a totally shocking verse. That would have been astounding because all of a sudden he's looking to a future in which the promised Messiah was going to do something not just for the children of Israel. He was going to expand his kingdom and to become more inclusive than one might have originally thought, especially growing up Jewish. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph really had to ponder those words, and those people who were around them in the courtyard that day would have been thinking, what does he mean by that? That's an astounding word, and it turned out to be a great promise, and something that we see was prophetic, because Jesus did, in fact, open his kingdom to everybody, including the Gentiles, so that all who call upon his name will be saved. Relief and not resolution. Simeon saw the Messiah, but the rescue hadn't quite been completed yet. And then the consoling had not happened yet. <clears throat> I've told you before about being rescued during a flood in Arizona one time. And we were on the island and the water was growing and it was literally lapping over our shoes. And we were becoming a little concerned, as you can imagine. But there was such relief when on the other side of the creek, which had swelled to overflowing and had become a mighty torrent and the bridge, the only bridge to our exit had been washed away. We saw the truck that looked a little bit like this utility truck pull up on the opposite side of that creek. Oh man, we were so relieved. Well, had the consolation happened yet? No. Had the rescue happened yet? No, but we were still relieved. Why? Because we had hope. Those people had arrived. They could accomplish the rescue. They could shoot that cable across the creek and we could tie it to a tree and they could attach a pulley and a chair and pull us across one by one. It was quite a while later before we all experienced the relief of the rescue, which finally did happen. And then it was several hours later before we found ourselves in a rented motel room eating a ham sandwich instead of the turkey dinner that used to be there in the kitchen that we had to walk away from because of the flood. But the consoling happened that night as we looked back on the events and with such gratitude recognized that uh, things could have turned out very differently had there not been a rescue. Relief, but not resolution. That's the theme all through Simeon's interaction with Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. So you remember back two or three months ago when we had these things, mosquitoes, pesky little dudes, don't you kind of wish that maybe when Noah had been on the ark, he would have squished a couple of them? Could have solved a lot of problems, but he didn't. He had two by two, must have been enough for them to propagate. Here we are. But what happens when they sting you? And we always call it a mosquito bike. I don't know that that's true because it's actually a stinger, but anyway, we won't go into that. When you get a mosquito bite, what happens? There's this red bump and it swells up and sometimes it gets really itchy and you just have to scratch and scratch and scratch. Well, the medical experts among us would be prudent and they would say, put some anti-itch medication on that bump and stop scratching. You're only going to make it worse. So what do we do? <laughs> we scratch and scratch and scratch and sometimes we make it worse and it takes several days before the bump subsides and all the toxins go away and we're kind of back to normal again well it's a weird analogy i know but i think there's something to it and that is christ's coming this is a very strange analogy i know it sounds weird but i really think this is true christ's coming which we celebrate in the incarnation 
through this Advent season, his birth, his coming to earth, is a temporary relief that gives us hope. It's almost like it's going to make the waiting easier because we're putting that anti-itch medicine on there. It's temporary. It doesn't completely solve the problem. But we know that eventually there's, we can have patience because we know it's going to go away. Some of this heartache is going to be filled. Some of those relationships that we've been struggling with are going to get restored. There may be some sense of closure or at least learning to live with the grief or the loss that we've been experiencing. Maybe that financial hardship will finally be met and we won't have to stretch quite as much as we've been stretching or worry as much as we've been worrying. Maybe that habit that we've been struggling with for so long will finally be broken or at least under control enough that we won't find ourselves completely going back to that so often all the time. Maybe a physical ailment or a health issue won't be plaguing us the way it was. Whatever those things are, we can know that Christ's coming is going to give us some relief because we know that he's going to walk with us through everything we're dealing with. And so we know that there will be resolution at some point in the future, even if it's not immediate. So what is your heartache? I mentioned a few of them. I can't possibly know what your heartache might be or what's causing it. But you know what? Christ is there to help you ultimately resolve your heartache. And he will. I know he cares about your heartache. He cares so much that even though his good friend Lazarus had passed away, he was the one who could raise him back to life again. And yet he wept before he did so. Why? Because he empathized with those who were weeping over their loss. He knows what you're feeling. He feels your heartache. Whatever that heartache is, whatever you're experiencing right now, Jesus will meet you if you'll open yourself up to him. Some aches actually point toward eternity. I've been sensing from many people that I've spoken with that there are certain aches that will be filled or taken care of, salved, whatever term you want to use to talk about consolation. Some of those aches will go away to some degree, but some aches we're going to carry with us until eternity. Because C.S. Lewis says, and I agree with it, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's true. Some things are just not going to feel like they're consoled until we see him face to face. Because we weren't made for time. We were made for eternity. And sometimes those lost loved ones, we're not going to feel completely consoled until we're with them again because of a reunion that takes place because of Jesus Christ that made reconciliation with God possible and makes a reunion possible in heaven with those who are under Christ's covering. You see that baby right there? This is a stand-in for the baby Jesus because I couldn't get an actual baby Jesus photo. That's actually my firstborn, the baby Katie. She was only a couple of months old. We had gone from Texas where I had just graduated from seminary, and we spent a little time at Christmas with my grandfather, Alfred Cawthorn. That's AJ right there. I called him Dadad, and he was nearing the end of his earthly life. And it really does my heart good to see him tenderly holding her little hand, her little fingers are wrapped around his fingers. 
and he's looking into that tiny face. That's what gives me the goosebumps when I think about Simeon looking into the face of the baby Jesus, maybe having Jesus' little fingers wrapped around one of his fingers. And he was seeing a future, a future filled with hope. I had a future filled with hope when I was on Continental Singers tour in 1977, and we'd had a prayer meeting together after an all-day practice session before we went on tour. And during that prayer session, one of the verses that we read in the Bible made me feel like I was just leaping in my spirit, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me in a way that I don't sense very often. And I felt that he was telling me, it's going to be okay. Your grandfather, who doesn't know me yet, is going to make a decision to trust me with his life. I even called my father because I was in California and he was in Arizona at the time. And I called him that night and I said, dad, I just have to tell you, I just really feel something amazing happened in my Bible study and prayer time tonight. I feel like dad Ed, is going to trust Christ someday. And my dad being wise and had learned to wait better than I had said, well, I'm going to join you in praying for that. I've been praying for it anyway, but I'll just ramp up my prayers for my father and I'm really encouraged to keep praying for him because you've said that. And whatever happens in God's good time, we're going to trust that that's true. We're going to just keep praying for him. You know, it didn't happen immediately. In fact, it didn't happen in two or three or four years. It happened a long time later. And just about this time, when Dad Ad was looking into the face of our newborn daughter, he found out that he had cancer. And it was cancer that finally caused him to start looking at himself differently because he realized, hmm, my physical body is going to die. And I wonder if some of the things my Christian relatives have been trying to talk to me about are really true or not. Maybe I better start listening. And so he asked the right questions. My father was able to share Christ with him. And I'm happy to report that my grandfather took that step over the line of faith, and he trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I was so grateful for that. And I had seen the consolation of something that was at the time just a sense of relief and hope way back in 1977. But it took until after 1985, when this picture was taken, before the consolation happened. If you look into the face of the baby Jesus, and understand what he grew up to do for us. And then if you look at that face of Jesus on the cross and understand that even in his agony, he looked out and said, Father, forgive them. That's where we find consolation. That's where we find hope. That's where we find not just relief, but we find the permanent solution to our worst problem ever, which is sin, because sin separates us. And then Simeon says something unusual toward the end of his song, and he says something that points ahead in future about resolution that can only come through sorrow. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What was Simeon talking about? 
he was pointing ahead with a huge hint that this baby would grow up and give his own life as a ransom for many. He would spare his own or shed his own blood so that ours would be spared. His righteousness would cover our unrighteousness. He would take off his cloak of righteousness and put it over us. And those who are covered in his blood, in his righteousness, will be saved. All that was a gospel message through an old guy in a courtyard holding a tiny baby. Can we wait with expectation? I was sharing that I just couldn't come up with the right ending to this particular passage and this message. And Callie heard me talking about what we were going to be discussing today. And she says, oh, well, that reminds me of my friend from college, Kimmy Kiefer and Kimmy Kiefer's mom. Apparently, Kimmy Kiefer's mom was diagnosed with cancer. And it was a difficult season for her. And they had to do some interventions. And they applied all the kinds of measures that we think of when you talk about treating cancer. Well, the doctors were grateful because some of those treatments had some positive effect. But it wasn't total healing. It wasn't total consolation, so to speak. They said, things are good. We can't pronounce you in total remission, but we're just going to keep testing you and we'll keep checking you often. But you know, while she was waiting through that season, you know, she did. She made her time productive and she wrote a book. What was the book about? Waiting on God. Pretty important for us to know how to do. And I'm sure that as she's waiting on God, she's understanding a little more about what Simeon was trying to teach us about waiting. Yes, there can be some relief, and we're grateful for it, but a lot of what we look for when we're praying is really relief and not consolation. If we're praying for consolation, then we need to pray for the whole nine yards, the whole package, because it's a package deal. If you want relief, you need to take Jesus Christ fully into your life. You need to allow him to transform everything about you, to make you into a new creature in Christ, so that you have that full consolation to look forward to, because you weren't created for this world. You were created for eternity. And I would say that right now, the best thing anybody can do is to embrace Jesus Christ. Embrace what he did for us on the cross. And trust him not just for temporary relief, but for the consolation which can only come for those who give their lives completely to him and to say, guide me not only through this life, but into eternity, because that's where we're going to have perfect consolation and a completion of what you came to do for us as you took our sins upon yourself. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that all of us, whether we've been walking with Jesus for years or whether we're just ready to take that step and we're looking for uh, consolation, I pray that we would embrace you fully, that we would trust you in the times of our waiting, that we would trust you to fill the void in our lives, to deal with our heartache, whatever that ache comes from. And I pray that we'll be patient. And in our waiting, I pray that you will develop the kind of character that would help us to become more and more like you so that we can trust you more and more and so that we can point others to you because you are the source of all consolation. 
And I thank you for that. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.